gone for a week, but hopefully not forgotten. Once again, welcome to the program that comes to you from two different sides of the globe. It is No Agenda here in the Curry Manor in the uh, lovely and affluent suburb of Surrey known as Guilford. I'm Adam Curry. And I'm up here in Northern California. I'm John C. Dvorak. John, it's good to talk to you again, my friend. Yeah, you were on vacation. Yeah, and I and I apologize. I uh, I forgot to tell you that I was going on vacation. Well, I think I did tell you, but I forgot to tell you that I wasn't planning on doing a show. <laughs> yeah, you were uh, wasted in the south of France, I understand. I was not wasted. Nothing of the kind. It was fantastic, though. I've never been on vacation to the south of France, and I have to say I think I have my new holiday destination all uh, all figured out. <laughs> everybody, everybody says that. That and Portugal is the other one they like to no, go to. You know, I've, I've been to Portugal a number of times, and I think it does not compare. I really, really like the south of France. And you even say France. Mm. So, um, <laughs> I know it's horrible. <laughs> oh, I went to France. I went to the south of France, no less. So, uh, but you went, you know, a lot of people uh, go, I mean, I would recommend the south of France to anybody. Uh, but I, I would, you, you went to the high rent district. I mean, when I go there, it would be, I'd be floating around. I, I actually probably would even which isn't uh, technically the south of France, go to Provence. Or then uh, if I was going to be in the south of France, I think Nice is probably more along my, uh, or even Monte Carlo yeah. is more, uh, uh, which sounds ritzy, but it's not as, as fancy as uh, where you went, which is Saint-Tropez. Well, actually, we, uh, we stayed at a friend's house in uh, Saint-Raphaël, which is between Cannes and Saint-Tropez. And uh, so it's, it's a small uh, a small village, but we did day trips. We went to... Uh, we went to Cannes, and then we did go to um, uh, Saint-Tropez twice with, uh, you know, the big power boat, the way you're supposed to do, right? You roll up there, and uh, there's... Uh, <laughs> no, it's fantastic. You you, you park in front of um, Nikki Beach. Have you heard of Nikki Beach? Yes, yeah, one of those places where the uh, Russian mob hangs out. Exactly. The Russian mob and all of their chicas. It's fantastic. And uh, actually, we had dinner at uh, lunch at... Uh, uh, Club Saint-Consanc, which is a pretty famous restaurant on the beach right near, uh, right nearby, and uh, was really... Four Russians. <laughs> and actually, Gordon Ramsay was there uh, when we were having lunch. He was, so you know, everyone was on high alert and uh, looking spiffy and doing their best. Oh, really? Yeah. What was he doing there? Did you, ask, did you go up to him and say, hello, no. I'm Adam Curry. I think you're... <laughs> sure, you've great... heard of me. <laughs> <laughs> you must have heard of me. I've heard of you. No, I did not. Uh, uh, he, was just, he, he was just having lunch by himself. No, he had a couple friends there. It was, I mean, you know, it was it was like totally overcrowded. I mean, the, you know, this place there's there's a, a line outside the what you could call a door, I guess. Um, that must be fifty people who have you know no reservation and subsequently no chance whatsoever of actually getting down and and uh, and, and having a meal. So how was the food? Oh, it was very good. And what they do is they they have these. Um, each table gets like this big. It's like a um, now. Th now this is let's go back. This is Sank on Sank. Is that the name of the place? Yeah. So fifty five Club fifty five Sank on right, Sank. Okay. Very famous restaurant. And when you sit and and it's and it's a dump, right? It's like a beach hut with uh, with tarps, you know, strung over the top of it. I mean, it's nothing special at all, uh, except for the fact that all the beautiful people are there. And uh, each table gets this huge like. Um, like a like a side of a tree, you know, with bark and all, and it's probably um, I'd say about five inches high. And on that, you know, hollowed out tree slice or slab, if you will, they put huge amounts of 
you know, raw vegetables like, um, uh, wait, 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 I'm not getting the description correct. Is it like a stump? Is it round or is it long and it's cut down the middle? How's this, how, what's it shaped like? Imagine if you took a tree and you sliced off a piece uh, of the bark, say about three, you know, two or three feet long, uh, two feet long. Uh, but sliced you a, off a piece of bark. Yeah, except really a, a deep slice. So maybe a couple inches thick. So like a canoe. Oh, okay. Right. And then, and so, so you have the bark on one side, um, which has been modified a bit so that, of course, doesn't roll around on the table. And then the top part is all clean, you know, flat wood, flat wood. Yeah. And and then on that, they put uh, cauliflower and uh, cucumbers and uh, tomatoes and radishes and all kinds of stuff. So that's really nice. You just, everyone's just kind of picking at that at the table. I'm surprised. I'm surprised before you go on with the description that the EU allows it. (laughs) Because of the trees, you mean? Yeah, I mean, they have this thing about how you can, you know, what food can touch, and they have all these rules coming out of Belgium, and I, I'm uh, shot, stunned by this. No, I'll tell you, uh, the French, as far as I can tell, don't give a shit about the EU. I mean, they're smoking everywhere. <laughs> they're doing everything that is not supposed to be possible in the European Union. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, no, excellent. Not that people should be smoking, but I'm just saying it's good that they're still French. Well, also, most of the people I met and uh, and talked to definitely don't work 34 hours a, a week. You know, it's more like 54. Uh, mm. <laughs> so another farce. But uh, great weather, okay. man! It was just. Well, oh. wait. Let's get back to the food. You you got the plank of wood. It's got some cauliflower on it. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So then I so then I had um, artichoke. Uh, is it steamed artichoke? And uh, which I kind of like, you know, where you take off the leaves and the closer you get to the center, to the heart of the artichoke, the more stuff there's on the leaves. Um, okay. And uh, and I had uh, steak tartare, uh, which is basically a, a big slab of raw meat. Yeah, always a risk. Oh, it was good, though. Oh, it was so good. And uh, the only other uh, spectacular thing uh, worth mentioning on this program is um, the 14th of July, which is um, kind of the French uh, Independence Day, known as, uh, uh, well, they call it a couple different things, but it's... Uh, Bastille Day. Bastille Day, yep. Uh, we were invited to uh, someone, actually Patricia was invited, and so you know we all uh, went along. Um, this uh, uh, apparently quite uh, wealthy uh, uh, woman... Who was throwing a party on the, um, in her apartment? But her apartment was the building next to the Carlton Hotel, rooftop penthouse, <laughs> with uh, you know I don't know how big this rooftop penthouse was, just on the you know the rooftop uh, part of it. But uh, there were easily uh, seventy to eighty people outside comfortably, and we had a an unobstructed view of um, of the water where all the fireworks were uh, were ignited. At, uh, oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah, and I, uh, there's a picture on Curry.com. You can see the situation. You can actually see. You actually the... took a picture. You brought a camera. Oh yes, <laughs> just a cell phone camera. Hey, I got a new. Actually, when you called me earlier before we started the show, I, I got a new cell phone, man. Uh, okay. Yeah, because I, you know, you know, I left on um, on Friday, the day the iPhone was supposed to come out. Um, and I actually, um, I went to the store at nine in the morning. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, go get one at the local Guilford shop at the O2 store. I'll go pick up an iPhone, the 3G model, and I'll have something fun to play with, uh, um, during the vacation. So I roll up, there's a hundred people in line in Guilford. 
And so, you know, like, like well, all right, turn around because we had to leave at 11 for the airport. So I turn around, go back, forget about it. You know, but I, throughout the week, I was kind of reading things and I've been, you know, uh, actually there were a couple of reviews in the Financial Times and just uh, some web reviews. And the more I, I was reading it, the more I'm like, you know, I don't know if this thing is really going to make me extremely happy. And um, you're talking about the iPhone. Yeah, the, the iPhone 3G. Now, I've been an iPod touch user for uh, ever since it came out, basically. And uh, so I, I, we, we got back last night and I upgraded my um, iPod Touch to the new uh, you know, 2.0 software. And right. I'm like, you know, do I give a shit about, you know, and I went through the app store. I'm looking at all the stuff. I'm like, well, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't really integrate with my entire life. It syncs nicely with the Mac and all that. And then I'm, you know, looking at reports on the battery life and, you know, how you can't actually get, you know, driving directions with a built-in GPS, not, you know, not with voice commands. I'm sure that's going to come out at some point, but all the stuff that's still to come. And, and I'm like, I don't know. And uh, so I broke down and uh, went into town, looked at the iPhone 3G again, and then went next door and bought the new Nokia E71, which I'm just tickled to death over. Why? Well, I've had the E61i, um, and basically everything that I didn't like about it, which mainly was um, processor speed, uh, it's just, you know, it, rendering web pages and all that stuff, and also the fact that uh, the i60 or the E61i doesn't have uh, H, was it HDSPA, the, the really high speed uh, wireless access, um, and also the form factor, just the size of it, and this E71. If you look it up online, man, it is a it's a beautiful, beautiful phone, and it is unbelievably fast. And uh, and it's, and you know, using this thing called um, Joyku Spot. Have you heard of that? No, I'm looking at a picture of it now. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, so this this thing called Joyku Spot. You install this little application, which works on uh, on the Symbian platform, and it turns your uh, phone into a Wi-Fi hotspot. So I just installed that, and so basically now I have the um, the you iPod mean a hot Touch. Spot. You mean it turns into a what do you mean a hot spot? Yeah, you well, mean so it turns it into a transmitter. Yeah, well, so the the, the phone has a has Wi-Fi, you know, so you can browse through high speed mobile data or through your Wi-Fi access point. And what this uh, Joyku Joy spot thing does is it just reverses that process and it turns your phone into a Wi-Fi access point using its uh, data connection. So I can, so, oh, okay, oh, oh, this is, oh, so another, if I can get it out, because I'm stunned. Uh, <laughs> in other words, what it does, so it essentially it turns the phone into a hub, like if you have your laptop with you and you, you can't get a connection uh, any way, shape, or form, you can call up, that you can dial up on the phone, and the phone becomes a Wi-Fi uh, hub, as it were, exactly. and then the, the computer can talk to the phone, which talks to the network, and then you can get your exactly. email. Yeah, exactly. So it just, it just routes, well, email, I mean, you can get stuff at high speed. In fact, I think the speed that I'm getting through the phone um, through that Joyku thing may actually be faster than my broadband at home. <laughs> really? Well, you know, I've got, uh, you know, we have shitty provisioning out here, 50 to one or whatever. So when everyone's sucking on the pipe, then it, uh, well, you know, it's like when we have really shitty shows, that's, that's my access at home. Yeah. Um, but well, this thing, you know, it, I've seen uh, 700 megabits down. It's also smaller than the 61 by a lot. Yes. It's, and it's, it's almost the exact same size as the iPod touch, which is smaller than the iPhone. Um, and it's great. It's got GPS built in with turn by turn instructions. It's got, uh, I mean, it's just the Nokia, the Nokia, yeah, the Nokia. Yeah. It's, it's got turn by really. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
It looks like it's about 500 bucks. Uh, yeah, and it's a little more expensive here. It was like 300 pounds, so about 600 bucks. And of course, that's an unlocked version, so I can put any SIM card in that I want. I'm not uh, locked into a carrier. And there's one on sale for 483.95. Damn, I should have waited. Hmm. Well, that sounds like a winner. It's it, well, you'll see it in a couple of weeks when I'm over. It is and it, stunning. And it takes it takes good pictures. It, it, yeah, it has a 3.2 megapixel camera, uh, which is uh, the 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 E61 had a two megapixel, and so also the iPhone 3G only has a two megapixel uh, camera. So it has a, a reasonable camera with uh, with a flash. It also has it has, it has a, little, a flash. What did that yeah. can't do anything? What's the flash go for a foot? I don't know. Well, I haven't tried it yet. I mean, I, I got home and I called you. <laughs> uh, it has a camera on the front, uh, a VGA camera for video calls. Oh, on the front, so you can do uh, phone sex. Yeah, 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 yeah. Another thing the uh, the iPhone doesn't have, and it just uh, the more I was looking at you it, you know, I'm the like, iPhone was supposed to get that. Everyone kept talking about yeah. it, but I think they bailed out on it. Yeah, yeah. Everything that that I really missed in the iPhone, this thing has, and so combined with that with that hotspot software, I think I've got a real winning combination and smaller in size. Uh, and it has a keyboard, which I think is a big deal. And the keyboard, I'm loving this keyboard. And you're right, it is a big deal. It really is. You know, I, I've kind of gotten into, I don't do it as much as I could, but I have to admit that, you know, doing just SMS messaging, even though it's, you know, sometimes the messages get lost, yeah. I think is, a, is, a, is, a, is, you know, I think the kids got it right. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. And uh, so now I have to wean everybody off of my uh, old phone number onto the new phone number because I, I finally broke down and got uh, got a UK number to use. No, oh, tell us what it is. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Trying to get one that's not being tapped. Oh well, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, you probably got about a week before the. Uh, before you know, actually, as soon, as soon as the MI six or five or whichever group it is listens who listens to the show, I figure they listen to the show uh, once a week. Yeah. Uh, at, about a week after the show's been out. And then they'll know you have the new phone, and then they'll lock you uh, into their system shortly. Well, you know, it's no big deal over here. All you do is even the council, the, 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 the Guilford Council can request a phone tap. Yeah. And they do it by the thousands. I think there was 30,000 last year. I'm uh, sure the Guilford Council has uh, got you on their list. Yeah, well. I, I, <laughs> You're a troublemaker. You're an American yeah, troublemaker I'm a, living I'm in a England. freaking troublemaker. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, man, it was good. It was good to, good to have a vacation, good to get away. And I'm raring, raring to go. And I, and I, and I, and I did nothing but read, um, paper, very, very little internet access. So I, 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 and I literally would be reading the financial times back to back every single day. I think I'm going to get a, a subscription to two. I, this is a change of my uh, approach to things. Uh, I think I'm going to, uh, which is Noteworthy. I think I'm going to get a. <laughs> and we need a think, jingle. <laughs> we do. So I think uh, I'm going to get a subscription to the hard copy of the New York Times. Really? 
And here's the reason. Here's what my thinking is, because I was at the uh, traveling recently and I, uh, you know, picked up a copy. Uh, Well, usually when I go to the airport, I scrounge around and try. I think that people should recycle more. I don't think they should be picking up those papers. I think people should be. One of the reasons people don't buy newspapers anymore is because they they feel guilty about all the trees that are being wasted. Seriously. And it's one of the one. You know, it sounds like a joke, but in fact, they've studied this and people do feel bad about it. So what? So like 40 percent, 50 percent? Lots. Well, yeah, 40, something like 40 or more. You know, it's just a huge number of people that don't like the idea. And it's also a pain in the ass to have a big stack of papers. You got to take them to the recycling bin. But anyway, the uh, so I get the thing. I I realize that the, the efficiency uh, which is what we have to consider here rather than all oh, the internet, you know, you can always find out stuff. And I was watching the news the other day and I was noticing somebody said, and so-and-so, blah, 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 some guy killed somebody. We'll get back to it after this break. And you don't know who it is and they don't even get to it until the end of the show. I, I don't need this aggravation. So that's when the internet comes in handy. You go up and you can look things up. But for getting just a hit of the news on a day-to-day basis, the efficiency of a big newspaper where you just open it up and you can really see what, you know, what at least some people think is important. And you can also pick up on the kind of what's good about the New York Times isn't so much its news, but it's coverage of trends and trendsetters and things that are going on in the city yeah. that, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, something about sunglasses or something about what people are, women are wearing shorter skirts. You know, ba- basic like trends. Tr- major basic cultural trends. It's more efficient to get that from the, from a paper because you get the paper. You can spend the 20 minutes with it. You'd be on the net all day. And I think at the beginning to think that in terms of getting news, uh, although I think, you know, a, a, a hit on one of the newspapers online probably gets you some news. But I think overall it's an inefficient way to gather the daily news and trends and things that are going on if you if you need to talk about these sorts of things. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I was basically, as I said, offline and I'd just go down to the harbor and I'd buy a Financial Times. And I really enjoyed that format of getting my news, exactly what you're saying there. You know, and you, so, I, in fact, I'd take the first section and I'd take it down to the pool and I could fold it. I could fold it in another quarter, you know, and just kind of hold it in like a book format and read uh, Read one article, and uh, and you're right. It's uh, the importance that whole layout uh, showing you what the editors or whoever's responsible for the for the front page of each section. You know, you really get a much better uh, global overview that you is impossible to get online, or at least uh, I, it hasn't worked for me yet that way. No, it, it, I think people get more from this show, which they listen to, and it's very <laughs> slow. And in this show, is we don't really have a lot of bandwidth in terms of when you're talking, because you, I did this with a, one of my speeches recently. I had it transcribed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I gave a one and a half hour speech on the state of the art in the newspaper industry, why it's you know having problems, uh, although now I'm in denial about it. <laughs> uh, and so I had it transcribed by a transcription service, and the whole hour and a half speech was 7,500 words. Oh, jeez. Right. And, and I'm a fairly fast talker. I'm not, I mean, I mumble a little bit and sometimes I stammer. But the fact of the matter is that's about what it is. Yeah. And so for our show, we have to assume that it's probably running around 7,500 words, which is really three feature stories, 2,500-word stories in a newspaper, which you can really plow through in about 10 minutes. So, so what are you saying? Indif- so is our show good or bad? What I'm saying is that the newspaper, the old-fashioned newspaper, I'm saying for one thing, yeah, this show is inefficient. <laughs> but the newspaper is extremely efficient, an efficient way to get a lot of information fast. Yeah. And I think that can't be denied. And the Internet is not as 
as as efficient at getting you this much information this quickly. Well, also, you, you still, in most cases, you have to act as kind of like the editor. You you have to figure out what's important, you know, because, yeah, there, there might be something on the homepage, uh, but it's typically not the same uh, that's uh, being highlighted in the in the paper. And then all the other sections, like, you know, then it's almost like a weblog version, you know, uh, reverse chronological order and not not another layout. You know, I, I love looking at Financial Times has that sidebar, like, oh, here's, right. here's other stories within this section of the paper. Oh, I might skip ahead to something. Um, yeah, it's good. I like it. Uh, I have to I say, should I'm probably, I should probably way. put the Financial Times on the list and subscribe to that too. Now, now thinking about that, and, and the fact that I've been giving these talks about the newspaper business being in decline, and it is, I realize that one of the problems they have is they're, you know, because they're so arrogant, the newspaper people don't, you know, they're just so full of themselves, generally speaking, because they, you know, they know they're doing a good job. They don't want to listen to anybody from the outside telling them what to do. But the one thing is that they're not doing very well is marketing in, in their product anymore. They're, they've never bothered to market it. I mean, they talk about, you know, th- their idea of marketing is almost like the Chinese method of marketing. You know, the Chinese, you know, if you always boil down any Chinese philosophy of marketing, it always comes down to one thing, best price. They don't have. They don't care about advertising. They don't care about you know messages. They don't care about anything. Just best price. That'll do the trick. So, which you know is a is a detriment to them and everyone else. And the newspaper people must be the same way because their whole idea of marketing is giving you a deal. Hmm. You know, well, we'll give you a, a month for free. Yeah, I or, mean, that's or their free whole marketing. D- free CD inside. So the, the the point is is that if they would market the newspapers the way I'm doing now for them, which is to say, look, this is a very efficient. Well, you guys don't have a lot of time on your hands. You mean how much time do you have to kill dicking around online, surfing the net? If you want an efficient hit of news and trends and information. Nothing beats the newspaper. It's extremely efficient. Yeah. Here, this is why you should subscribe. I've never heard that message. No, you're right. And and how about uh, newsstand placement? I don't know if they have to fight for that or if they still do or if they care. Uh, but wh- where your where your stuff is in the stand and what's on that front page? I mean, that's that's a a big part of marketing there too. Yeah, no, the front page. Well, in in Europe, and I think we've talked about this on the show before. Yeah, the they, UK, they're a little yeah. more adept. Because everything, you know, people want, you know, you go to a newsstand, if people travel and they hit, go to the Heathrow or, or any place where there's a big newsstand, you look at these. Yeah, the, they're screaming you at wanna, you. You want to buy a lot of magazines because they they have, you know, these fantastic layouts and, and they scream at you. You're right. They, they demand that you, you pay attention. We don't do so much of that in the States, even though, I mean, magazines like Cosmopolitan kind of do that. But generally speaking, uh, the difference is, and people... You have to realize this is that in the U.S., most of the magazines and newspapers uh, account for the most of their income from subscriptions. And in Europe, it's most all, of their yeah, income is, is all done on newsstands. Yeah. Well, in New York, and, though, it, it used to, I don't know if it's still that way. Yeah, I guess it is. You had those newsstands where you buy your dirty magazines, your cigarettes, your chewing gum, and then they have. Yeah, but if you look at the really hot magazines at those newsstands you're talking about, and they're all over New York. Yeah. The hot magazines, the ones I always get gra- gravitate toward, are the ones that are brought over from Europe. Yeah, yeah, true. Like the Economist. And I'm always buying some like weird wine magazine or some <laughs> screwball magazine that's coming out of England or somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, 
So that's the deal. So they, they meanwhile, the newspaper, of course, no newspaper person is listening to this show either because no. uh, they're sitting around amongst themselves, which is what they do. And, um, you know, wondering what's going on. But I guess so, the, I guess it's just too expensive a format to maintain their their business model. I mean, that it seems like no one's really doing any great business. No one's you know raking it in. Well, maybe Murdoch is um, who now, of course, also owns the Wall Street Journal. That'll be interesting to see. How that changes. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, when I went to Manhattan a few uh, weeks back. The uh, we had the editor because I went with Market Watch. We had an editorial meeting amongst the columnists, and one of the uh, uh, we have some characters for columnists. I have to say, but anyway, the uh, they brought in the editor in chief because Murdoch also owns Market Watch now. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, well, Dow Jones bought Market Watch, and right. so he owns everything. Right. And uh, so have they you, have you gotten this. a call yet where they say, uh, hey, John, now we want you to stay away from those topics. Uh, <laughs> we'd like you to focus a little bit more on this kind of uh, news. No, my understanding is what they is they just wait for you to make mistakes and fire you. So they don't do that, <laughs> okay, so. that's much easier. <laughs> you know, they don't have to tell you what to do. So, uh, no, I don't think there's a lot of uh, uh, that kind of direction, but... The uh, they did bring in the guy who's the the hatchet man. I guess one of Murdoch's right hand men. That guy who's now running the Wall Street Journal in to talk to us. And see, uh, there it is. Now it's starting. Yeah, but I couldn't figure out what he was talking about. That's the only thing. So <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I mean, well, I've I've really been paying a lot of attention. You know, obviously, reading reading the news, I've been paying a lot of attention to um, what people are saying and um, and the words that they're using. All these, you know, I guess you'd call them code. Code. Uh, and a, yeah, and a big word these days is shock. Boy, that's being used a lot. The oil shock, the credit crisis shock. Huh. Everything's a shock. And and, and on the heels of I, I, that, I read uh, Shock Doctrine by uh, Naomi Klein, which uh, kind of clarified a couple things for me about the usage of the word. But uh, just interesting to, to note that. I haven't that, noted, noted it here. Maybe I'm not paying attention. Well, so, so what did Naomi Klein say about shock doctrine? Well, this comes, uh, so the word shock comes from the Chicago um, School of Economics, which was um, uh, founded by a guy named Friedman. I'm sure you've heard of him. No? You're not talking about Milton Friedman. Uh, yeah, I think it's Milton Friedman. Well, I mean, he he came that school that 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 he was way after that thing began. I mean, there's earlier uh, names. Oh, he he, he, didn't, he didn't found the school, but he started. You talking about the the current? Okay, yeah, the the, the current uh, thought of how economics should work, and right, uh, and yeah, he's the, he's, he's, right, the he's the guy. guy from this generation, right? And so, you know, when you see who who has studied at the. Uh, uh, Chicago School of uh, of Economics and uh, who uh, who uh, what alumni have uh, advised uh, which world leaders you know some of them actually you know sleeping with uh, with uh, with with uh, with literature uh, just going to bed reading it getting up and reading more and uh, and a lot of it is based on the shock theory and uh, one example that was uh, that was in there was um, uh, Katrina so Katrina hit. And the first thing that, uh, or the first group to take advantage of uh, of the shock uh, of what took place, were people who went in and changed the entire school system, did away with public schooling, and, and came up with um, you know vouchers for charter schools for these uh, commercial entities, and, and you know like the tsunami in uh, uh, December uh, two thousand six. Was it two thousand six? Yeah, or two yeah two thousand six. Um, you know that the the 
people came in and took advantage of the shock by uh, immediately turning that whole coastline into hotels and uh, you know all the fishermen could go you know basically leave uh, or were not invited to come back and you know things are changed drastically when there's uh, a big shock and it happens very very quickly and uh, and you know well, oil- I think that's what you know that that's an interesting uh, I should read that I guess but why bother yes no no the, uh, <laughs> you'd enjoy the, it <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's interesting in in light of the New or- uh, Orleans thing because there is you know every time people go there I have to go there I'm gonna have to get over down there somehow and because everybody goes there and says Jesus it's just like worse than it was nothing's changed it's just a mess they apparently left the you know most of the area the Ninth Ward and all those areas that were decimated they're just a mess they stinks. Yep. And uh, it just seems to me as though almost the whole thing is a scheme to just take New Orleans and get rid of all those poor black people and everything yep. that was that was kind of sleazy about New Orleans and and turn it into kind of a you know a yuppieville. Yeah. So you know, essentially all that, that, pub, would be all that, that public that's housing. That's what that theory would say. Yeah. Right? All, yeah, what, and, that, yeah. And when you read it, uh, there's points about that in the book as well. All that public housing. You know, the problem was basically solved. Okay, it's all done now. So that's taken care of. You know, but no, no thought about okay, where did the hundreds of thousands of homeless people go, or where, where do they migrate Texas. to? Yeah, exactly. Texas. Um, but yeah, and you know, so the, so that so I read shock doctrine, and then I keep seeing this word shock, and it's always uh, in associate. Well, these days it's in, it's associated with oil. You know, the oil shock. Which, by the way, what is going on? Oil went from one hundred and forty six dollars a barrel. It's down now to one hundred and twenty eight. Yeah, I think I think I think it peaked. I think no, uh, you're wrong. No, I think and it's I the pullback. Right. No, I think this is the pullback. They're about to flip the levers big time. No, it's going to hit. They're, 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 the, the jig is up. No, I don't think so. And by the way, how can you say that that these prices are not based upon speculators when it clearly is? You know, the options expired on uh, you know, every month. I op- never said it wasn't based on speculators. No, no, I'm just saying. Oh, I'm sorry. I've also been reading everywhere that all these studies have been done. And everyone's saying, "Don't blame the speculators." It's not. Oh, the, you know, that's a crock of crap. I can't believe that. Yeah, people they're print saying that stuff. it over and over again, and you know, they're doing it's, all these studies, and oh no, we checked it all out. It's not the the stock exchange. There's not the speculators. No, it's a pure market <laughs> forces or. And so this, so these options you buy, you know, stuff like oil, you buy options on, and they expire on what is it, the the Thursday of every month or the third Tuesday or something like that, something like that. Yeah. So you know, on Tuesday the options all expire, the the price drops five bucks, uh, and it and it starts to go down. Then of course we have you know what is about to be the most interesting moment in uh, in financial history as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are are going to be subsidized by you and I essentially taxpayers a scam a big time and, and that's going to cause more inflation right i mean you you print up money you give it to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and there's more money in circulation and it it devalues the dollar and causes inflation i think what are we going to do <laughs> <laughs> just keep watching <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know what we're gonna do but it's it's been interesting uh you know looking across those three lines of u.s news uk news and uh and to some extent even dutch news and uh and i saw something that happened um uh, someone sent me a note uh two days ago that um double jeopardy is now being eliminated systematically in uh, European member states so it's about to leave in I oh, think Oh that's interesting. Yeah, oh it's it's about to be um taken away in Ireland, uh, the Netherlands, 
And I presume as the new world order continues, eventually they'll try and do that in the States. But yeah, it's oh, absolutely. being eliminated. Not you mention it, because, you know, one of the things that they've always done, you know, a lot of this is always... Maybe, you know, maybe, to, we, should make, explain, maybe we should explain double jeopardy real quick, so not explain. everyone may understand it. You do it, because you'll do a better job. Okay, essentially what it says is that if you're uh, uh, indicted for a crime, let's say murder, and you are found uh, not guilty... You cannot be retried, even if they find all kinds of evidence of including a movie of you killing the person, uh, because that's a, a double jeopardy. You yeah. can't because yeah, then the reason for the laws is it makes some sense. And if you think about it, the way if if double jeopardy doesn't exist and they are like, say, they're after Adam Curry. Right. Uh, they want to get him and they want to imprison him somehow. So they'll uh, trump up some charge and then they they find him not guilty. And so they just, just charge him again and then again and then right. again and then again. Yeah. And so the guy's never out of court because you can just keep doing it over and over and over again until you just how until the guy's basically dies of old age. Yeah. And so so that, that so there's a good reason for these laws. But the public has been, you know, over time, you know, there's a brainwashing thing afoot yes. where you have, you know, movies and stories where you have the evil guy who somehow manages to scheme the system. Uh, and how about O.J. Simpson? That's an example for you. Yeah, O.J. Simpson's a good example. And uh, so, you know, and now you find out that he did it or whatever. Or he and, writes a book and says he, if he was going to do it, this is how he'd yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, that kind of whatever you know. There's a, but he's probably one of the many examples. So in the, in this in this change of law, they're specifically saying that because of new developments in DNA, which is this this really scares me. You know, they should they now want to say, you know what? If we find uh, DNA evidence twenty years later, <laughs> we want to be able to go back and prosecute that person. Which of course is really really frightening because you know how do you check all this DNA stuff? You know, I'm willing to believe. Well, I mean, it, I, but- I'm game for the DMA to get people off. I mean, which is what they've been doing in this country is which yeah. essentially is they find these guys who have been imprisoned, especially places like Texas, where they just, you know, they, they, the guy's black, He's, hey, you know, throw him in, in jail, death row. And so uh, they've gotten a lot of people off and with DNA. But to go back in time, if the guy's already been on trial, uh, the DNA is one more, just one more straw, you know, it's just yeah. that, that, see, this is where you get into the situation where every time a new technology comes, I mean, this, you might as well just say, well, every time they improve DNA testing, let's go back after the same guys over and over again. Yeah, Look, well, you I think that's what they're guilty. saying, John, that's exactly what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, that's a part of a, of a, well, that's just a, another step toward fascism. I mean, let's face it. Yeah, absolutely. What is it called in Latin? Nibis idem, I think is what it is, or? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it's called. But it's, it's totally another step towards fascism. And, and, and I'm convinced, you know, now looking at this, because the talk still continues about the, uh, the Lisbon Treaty, the, uh, the European Union's constitution, which really wasn't a constitution, but it was. And uh, because it wasn't called constitution, um, got rammed through, is now through in 21 of the 27 member states, with Ireland still the only ones who had a referendum saying no. And it's like these guys are just, you know, it's like they're ignoring it. Well, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarkozy is, uh, I think he's in, uh, so he's the president now of the European Union. He's in uh, Ireland this weekend or this coming week. And, um, you know, he's like, well, I'll, I'll talk to my boy over there. And uh, I think we'll have to hold a, another vote. Uh, yeah, that's pretty clear. We need another vote because the first vote didn't have the outcome we desired. <laughs> yeah, just keep doing it over and over and over until you get him to vote. And you vote something in, uh, which is an old trick. Let me guess. A fascist trick? 
You know, the funny thing is, you we're gonna have to come up with a new word besides fascist. Mm. Uh, and the reason for that is because you know, it's, you know, it's it's marginalized as a term. If oh yeah, you're calling everything a fascist, you're an idiot. Yeah. You know, you, and in fact, this is not fascism in the sense of the of the fascisti or the actual political movement that took place in the 19. I guess it was in the late 20s with people like I think Mussolini was like one of the progenitors, main one of the main guys that began the the, the process. Uh, this is something else and we have to, but there's no name for it. And, you know, you can say, well, it's, you know, we, we throw out the term fascism, but it's not really fascism because fascism is like, you know, was a, was a party. In fact, it was a, it was a political and a sociological concept. That's, this is a little different in some funny way. It's got it, but but it's never been, no term has been dropped on it. We need like a nasty new word that you can keep calling this situation, and we don't have one. I think it's important that we develop one. Well, I'm looking now at the uh, thesaurus. Let me see if I can find anything. Hmm. Autocracy, dictatorship, Nazism, totalitarian, totalitarianism. Um, hmm. That's fascism just sounds so good, doesn't it? It's a, yeah, it's a nice word, a but I, word. you know, the thing is, I think we've got to come up with something else because it just sounds, you sound like a, the problem with using fascism, in fact, I ran into a, a crackpot friend of mine the other day who used the term, and the first thing you think of is when somebody it's says, oh, it's fascist. You think of Hitler? You think the guy's or... a crackpot, yeah. <laughs> and that's the problem with the term. Yeah. You know, could you and I saying it, you know, and people listening and say, ah, those two crackpots are hilarious. We should listen every week. But uh, what's happening, I think, particularly in Europe, uh, you know, pretty much mirrors the definition of fascism. Yeah, no, it does. But we we need it. The problem is, is the the term itself. Has yeah, no, been, I understand. Like, you know, people who see flying saucers, you know, even if they see one, you know, they're not going to be believed. Uh, crap. Well, the activity is heating up in the UK over flying saucers. Flying saucers are hot right now. In fact, yeah. uh, Larry King, I, I, I've been flipping through, you know, the channels. This is nothing. Did on he have TV. Shirley MacLaine on again? No, no, he's got these, he's, he's done at least three shows that I know of yeah. where he has these flying saucer experts. Yeah, yeah. and they're, and they're ex-military, and uh, Shirley MacLaine was on with a couple of them, um, I think must have been maybe half a year ago I happened to catch it. Well, and that's one way to, yeah. Well, you know, but, you know, Shirley MacLaine comes across as kind of kooky. Uh, kind of? Yeah, but I don't, I think she's intelligent. You know, and there's Dennis uh, Kucinich. Uh, who, <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. You're, the you're vegan. Yeah, but now, you're calling people crackpots for having said they saw UFOs. There was a uh, um, a UK police helicopter that chased one. They say we chased a UFO, and this was only a couple of weeks ago. Um, and 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 it went out to sea, and then you know they continued to with their pursuit, and they had to give up because they ran out of fuel. Essentially, they had to go back. But they they said, hey, it was a UFO. I don't care what you say. It was a UFO. We were well, like the one, one guy in the last night show. They had a uh, the bunch of these guys, including a guy from they have the way King does it is he has two of the UFO. You know, really the guys that are they're, they're credible, but they're a little out there. And then you have a couple of guys who are skeptics. And the one guy made this. You know, I. A very good comment says, look, look, where, why, you know, with all these cameras out there, how come nobody's ever gotten a good picture? Because they're all using iPhones with two megapixel cameras. I'm just saying, you know, where's the good picture? 
and you know like a good picture there's not they're always just blurry things done with a you know a little dot on a screen and look look there it is and it's like a little white thing flying around i mean it could be some well, kid with a model airplane i, I, at I night would call it good, um go to youtube or, or better yet uh google video and look for something called the disclosure project which was it's a video from 2000 and the disclosure project was this entire uh, panel of it must have been 20 guys all uh, ex military ex pilots ex NSA ex CIA you know retired most of them um, and several of them who did uh, air traffic control radar and I'll say look you know we're tracking a, a, an object at 80,000 feet which is pretty high and uh, we could just see it stop we could see it hover. We could see it make a, a 90 degree left hand turn. It says there's no doubt about it. That was nothing earthly that was that was making those moves. And the point of the disclosure project is they all go up there. They state their case. You know, they've got all all have, have their own stories or their own proof. And they, each of them ends by saying, I'm, you know, my name is, uh, uh, you know, Lieutenant General so and so retired. And I'm willing to testify um, uh, about these facts before Congress. You know, that was kind of the, what the disclosure project yeah. was. Well, the other comment that somebody made is, you know, why these aliens have all this tech. Now, why does one of them just, you know, stop in the, you know, take a stop in one of the heliports and get out and, uh, well, you know, the the well, okay, you, you know, the theories. I mean, there's many theories why. Uh, the the prevalent one being that this did happen. This is part of what Roswell was all about, and uh, there was contact, and the governments of the world <laughs> have shot him, <laughs> <laughs> shot the fucker down. Uh, but the governments of the world have been in contact, and you know, they have a yeah, deal. It's, you know, yeah, they, they gave us technology. We give them babies to eat and blood to drink. I mean, come on, you've read these theories. Well, strawberry uh, ice cream is one of the things they like. So <laughs> really, um, I haven't come across that one yet. Oh yeah, that's in there. Believe me, mm. and uh, well. Anyway, so the thing is, there's a trend right now because in that, you know, the the UK's released their UFO files. The French did it back in, yep. I think they were the first to do it back in March. And then I think the UK did it since then. And then dude, the French didn't get much publicity for theirs. But <laughs> everybody's doing it now except the US. And now they're, so now there's they're pressure. getting hounded. Yeah. And I think there's a big thing going on. And I think a lot of it, when it really boils down, it's for the next X Files movie. The whole thing is a big, <laughs> it's a big publicity setup. scam. I'm telling you, <laughs> everything be. I, I believe that when you start seeing this stuff happening all at once like this out of the blue, and then a movie's coming out, I'm looking at who's the PR person. I like to meet this person, you know, and shake their hands because you're we're, we're witnessing one of the greatest stunts in the history of marketing. Yeah. It wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, if you look at how short the lines are between uh, White House and some of the companies that own uh, that own scripts and and movie companies to produce, why not? Yeah, you know, you're talking Viacom. You know, they own most <laughs> of the content. I think Viacom, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if I think they own CNN. I'm not sure. Man, that that's yeah. also that that's really bugging me. That whole Viacom um, YouTube thing. Well, I think they backed off. Well, they well they backed off what they they're still getting the uh, I mean so here's the thing that I love this is what I'm going to get the IPs I no 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 then but that's only for external they they do want all of the um, usernames or uh, IDs or IPs uh, addresses of the people within YouTube meaning that if they or e even Google I guess so if they were to get uh, Eric Schmidt's um, uh, details of what he was looking at, and he was looking at John Stewart or any other person within YouTube. If they, you know, if, if they were essentially aware that there was illegal content on there, as 
proven by the logs, then they're in deep shit because, you know, you, that you can't do. You, can, you can't be sifting around for stuff and then not taking it down. You know, that's not exactly how the... Uh, no, that's interesting. You know, I didn't know this, but yeah. that's the way the discovery should work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's actually valid. I think it's very that valid. Be, that would be interesting to, to do. Well, I think that's, I think it's explicit or implicit that that's what they're going to do. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, thinking about it, I do the same thing. Yeah. So then, mm. of course, you know, it doesn't fall under the safe harbor of uh, the DMCA. Right. And then, no, and then they also, you know, then their, their lame excuse, well, we didn't know, is out the window. Yeah. But I'm, I'm pretty. But you're going to have to sift through a lot of IPs. Ah, but internally, it's not all that bad. They'll get, they'll get enough <laughs> hits. They'll get enough hits to prove it. No problem. And, and you know, they'll. It'll it'll be easy. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, you. Yeah, I think you're dead right, and I think that they will prove it because it's lax. I mean, the operation, uh, the YouTube whole YouTube thing from the beginning was is lax. Well, that and uh, Google Video. I mean, there's not a single thing you, that, that you can think of that you're looking for. Any documentary, anything that's been on the BBC of interest, you'll be able to find it in its in its entirety, right there, uploaded, converted, ready for searching and and enjoyment. Yeah. No, I watch a lot of stuff from there. So what? So what does that mean? I mean, once Viacom, because I'm sure Viacom's going to say, okay, hey, you know what? It's not not one billion. I think it's ten billion, or whatever the number is. I don't think they're going to be able to change the number after the, you know, maybe. I don't know. I I don't know how. I I, I actually would have to talk to an attorney about that one. Here's what I think the game plan is. I think the game plan is on a on a broad scale. Remember, it's it is Viacom, Sumner Redstone. You know, one of the most powerful men in the world. Um, I would say that this this whole copyright thing, that's just a farce. You know, that's just a front to turn the ISPs into um, filters and uh, police stations, essentially. So it starts with, oh, you're looking at something illegally. Oh, no, 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 can't do that. You know, and then all you have to do is just determine what's illegal. Maybe. That could be. I mean, I don't know. I think it's actually with deep packet sniffing and some of these other technologies that are coming out, it's possible that you could you could do things, especially if there were watermarks and flags and things like that that yeah, could but, be identified. But you don't even need deep packet sniffing. Just look at the HTTP request. It can be really simple. But th- what it is, it's turning your ISP, your direct connection to the internet, the first hop you make to the to the to the network. It's turning that into uh, a filtering station. You know, the cops, yeah, huh? the, the man checking us out. You know, they can filter what for what it, we know they have the technology to filter out whatever they want and listen or, you know, search for keywords. I mean, that's not too hard. So one and one is two, man. So back to our fascism story. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I'm, it all boils down to the same it does, thing. It does. We need a better word. We yeah. need a better word. Maybe people out there who listen, we have like 30,000 listeners, I think. Um, somebody, if we use the group, word. we use the, bra- the mob, as it were, which I'm sure this is close to being one. Yeah. Um, see if there's anybody out there that can help us come up with a new term that describes the new world order, which is what we're talking about here, yeah. in some way that... You can use to really, it's got to be a negative word, but it's got to be modern. Yeah. Um, and it can't, feel be, right. it can't be marginalized and it can't make you sound like a crackpot when you use it. <laughs> okay. Oh, I got a funny story to tell you. So, um, uh, Dr. Ron Paul, as you know, I'm a, 
a supporter of uh, of Dr. Ron. Uh, he's doing an alternative uh, convention in Minneapolis right in the same week when the Republican convention is taking place. They're doing this, you know, big concert on, uh, I think, September the 2nd on Tuesday, 15,000 seat, you know, auditorium, whatever. They're going to have, you know, artists there. It's, it's, really, it's going to be, they're calling it the uh, uh, Rally for the Republic. Uh, but the day before that, on Monday, is when they're doing something in a football stadium. And uh, that's going to be more for the uh, for the diehard, uh, the diehards, if you will. And so they... Uh, yeah, like you. Exactly. Well, so they called me up. They said, would you mind uh, hosting the event? And I'm like, no, it sounds like fun. And I said, you know, so I, 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 I'll make sure I talk about it on uh, on my shows, you know, because I, I said certainly the Daily Source Code. I know I've got lots of uh, reptilian hunters and tinfoil hat wearers. And, and then the guy says, oh, as we like to call them, our core base. <laughs> I'm like, right on, man, right on. So I'm going to do that September 1st. I'm going to uh, I'm going to host uh, the uh, the rally for the Republic. It's going to I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I so should, it's going to be where, where is it going to be? Minneapolis. It's specifically what an auditorium at the stadium. I mean, uh, I'm not sure. You know what? There's. By the way, have you ever been to Minneapolis? Yes, I have. Uh, it's a great place. And the, the thing I recommend people do is go to their museums. They have two or three just stunning art museums that are really worth checking out. I shot. In fact, a, whole, uh, sorry. No, go ahead. I'm just going to say. Also, they you know it's a very cosmo. It's a much more cosmopolitan city than uh, you'd think. Um, oh, totally! And you know, they have Mall of America there, of course. And well, I don't. That actually, to me, is a point against. But that's another story. Well, it re it relates to uh, why I was there. I was shooting a, a television commercial for Sam Goody, uh, and we we're shooting it at the Sam Goody store in the Mall of America because, of course, that's their flagship store. It's the biggest one, or whatever. And uh, so it's like a three day shoot. And the second night I'm there, I get a call around midnight. Uh, in the hotel room, so I pick it up and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Prince is uh, Prince has a party over at Paisley Park, which is famously in uh, Minneapolis as well. Says, uh, "Do you want to come?" I'm like, uh, "Let me think." Uh, yeah. <laughs> so okay, well, there's a car downstairs waiting for you, and uh, so I got whisked away to uh, to the Purple Palace, and uh, and there was a party uh, at the at the Paisley Park. It's it's a uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a happening happening town. So how how was the party? Did you get to meet Prince? Yeah. Was he going by the name Prince at the time? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think he was going by the name of Prince at the time. Uh, yeah, so for, you come in, uh, you go through a metal detector, which makes sense, and then there's uh, like this, you know, there's a whole bunch. It's really clean. Now you know you're going to a real party. Real party you're when you going go through, through a metal, metal detector. detector. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, so it was a big room, um, lit, but you know, dimly lit, but a you know, white room across one side, the, just the, the, the nicest buffet I'd seen in a long, long time. And then it was a DJ with like a mobile setup, and he was playing all kinds of Prince tunes you've never heard before in your life. And it's like, there must have been uh, 150 beautiful girls and boys, nothing else, of course. Um, it was kind of funny because Prince was standing over by uh, by the spe by the speakers near the near the DJ, and uh, I was talking to a couple of a couple of people. I said, oh, "I'm going to go over and say hi to him." And, and and this one girl, I kid you not, says, "Oh, you should you better not do that, man. You better not." I said, "Why not?" Well, because you're you're like six feet tall and you're white, man. That's two strikes. You don't want to be talking to Prince. I'm like fuck you. So so I went over, introduced myself, and guy was not. First of all, he's not that small. Um, I, I, you know, the stories about him, you think he was an Oompa Loompa. Um, 
But uh, and, he, and he was he was really nice and uh, and he he knew you know what I had done on MTV just the previous week and uh, and he said oh, and my and my daughter had been born maybe uh, maybe she's a year old and he said anyway, how's your, how's your daughter and uh, he knew what was going on it was fantastic he was he's a business really nice. he's a he's a, a artist slash businessman absolutely man. why would he be a jerk like this girl thinks because well she yeah. obviously likes to project that image for good reason because yeah. he doesn't have to want to be bothered by every schmuck in the world by her in particular I think yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> and and the coolest thing though was because the party ends at a certain point you know prince of course uh, he only made his appearance and he was there for a little while and then he disappeared and um and then all of a sudden uh you know his guys come through this room and they all they do is they just kind of like uh flick flashlights uh, on and off uh pointed at the floor and they just walk around they're clicking their flashlights and everyone knows oh it's time to go and then within 15 minutes the whole place was empty huh yeah Oh, so like a, a slick party. Very slick party. Um, so anyway, that was my uh, my one time in uh, in Minneapolis, and I think maybe I was there in Minneapolis. Did did they have? Uh, did they do, ever do indie in Minneapolis? Indie, indie? yeah, indie five. Oh, do they have any uh, race uh, tracks? Or I don't know. Maybe no, I can't remember. They'd have to do it in the middle of the summer. That's for sure. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway. Minneapolis. Well, so you're going up there. You're going to go up there for uh, to, to be the host or, or the, yeah, the guy the that announces. Man, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, Ron Paul. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And there'll be uh, artists there. And they're all going to cheer. Wah! Yeah, and I'll be like, you know, I'm going to wear my tinfoil hat, and you know, it'll be cool. <laughs> Patricia made me one. I got a really nice one. Cool. Yeah. We did a couple of blog posts on tinfoil hats, including, uh, I think it was about two or three years ago, some kids at MIT or someplace had done a whole study of tinfoil hats, and they would send radio waves at people with the different styles of hats, and mm -hmm. they finally came up with one the design perfect, that the was perfect the perfect design. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've always thought that would be a great idea as, a, as like a giveaway. You know, you could basically, you, um, you package up uh, a big sheet of industrial uh, aluminum tinfoil, with instructions on how to fold it and how to make your own, how to make your hat. Yeah, man, that's a good. Hey, idea. let's do it. Let's do the Adam and John tinfoil hat company, and we could actually make a kit and yeah. sell not that cheap ass aluminum foil, the thin stuff oh. which the radio waves can get. Yeah, through. no, no, it's got to be the hardcore. By the way, it's aluminium. It's not well, aluminum. To you. Aluminium. Well, we, you know, we got to differentiate ourselves in the market I here, I think John. you're right. We can use the, the Canadians pronounce it that way, too, so yeah. we can get away with aluminium. Aluminium hat. <laughs> so we can be the aluminium hat company and do it yourself hat. It comes in a kit. Uh, we'll make it then like nine ninety five with complete instructions and uh, you know nice package with the with the pieces of foil and how to you know fold them up in the whole nine yards. I'm sure. It I think already, people would buy this guy be as good a deal if we can get the 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 aluminum printed. Oh yeah. So it has some sort of logo on it. I think we'd have something. I bet you someone's already already started this uh, this company. I'm, <laughs> there's no way we're the only guys coming up with this idea. Well, I know, but we have uh, we have marketing uh, behind us. Savvy, we've got marketing savvy. <laughs> I think we could sell ten thousand units. Uh, you, you you might be right, but think about how. I mean, your cost is very low because you. But you know, it's just going to be a real. It's going to be quality aluminium, and yeah, if we could print it even better, you know, fold along this line, like an origami thing. Yeah, that'd be outstanding. <laughs> we need to. There's got to be somebody out there that's in the metal business. That uh, has a clue. I mean, you could even have an upgraded hat because what you really want is made out of copper foil. 
Oh, because that really stops the RFID. Uh, well, I don't know that it does any better. I mean, the stuff that really would work would be. I mean, there's two ways you can go about it. You can make a Faraday cage, which I That's think would it. be the coolest yeah. thing to have. That, that, a Faraday cage hat, <laughs> because then nothing can get through. Period. Uh, I guess it could get underneath. Maybe it could come up through your uh, feet. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, you got Faraday cage hat would be cool, uh, and uh, lead is always always a winner. But then they're too heavy. Not exactly convenient to wear on your head. <laughs> a big lead hat. <laughs> but but lead foil is not. You know, you could lead foil can be you know a fa- a very effective, and there is a thing such a thing as lead foil. And um, hey, well, John, you know the, you know what we have to do. The Faraday cage is the one I'm 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 kind of feeling good about. Yeah. Well. We should we should get this going before September first, uh, and we'll go out and we'll sell, sell them at the event, sell them at the at the venue, our our merch. <laughs> well, here's here's another possibility. How about an in? Because especially for this event you're talking about, a baseball cap insert that's a Faraday cage. An insert? in other words, like a beanie. It's like a, it's like a yamaka. Yeah, like a beanie yeah. thing that goes inside a baseball ah, cap. Ah, inside the cap. Yeah, that's a good idea. Inside the cap, and you can wear a regular baseball cap, and you got this protection. Yeah, and uh, it would be cool and light, and yeah. uh, <laughs> and you don't look as nutty. It would keep you cool in the winter, and uh, cool in the summer, and warm in the winter. It's a it's a floor wax and a dessert topping. So I think we were on the. I should. Uh, I'm mentioning this now, and I'm writing up the patent as we speak. Okay. So I don't want anyone stealing this idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. But well, the, uh, we, we got insert prior art Faraday here. cage insert for a baseball cap. Yeah. So when the guys, because you're going to go to this place, and you're going to have a lot of people with baseball cat caps that say "cat" yeah. on the on the, <laughs> on the hat. But the people don't realize you out there don't, especially the European audience listening, and it refers to the caterpillar tractor company yeah. and there's a bunch of these hats that say cat yeah. uh, that people in the midwest enjoy wearing yeah well, and you because basically you get 50 of them when you buy a cat when you buy a one of these uh right a farm or a backhoe or a tractor or tractor one of these big yeah. things that pushes dirt <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay it's it's a plan and we, right. we just gotta yeah, find can, someone who can um uh, who can do the 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 printing there's got to be well, you know, if we do we do that, but I'm thinking more now. I'm starting to think about this Faraday cage insert for a baseball cap. You know, there's got to be some hat company in China that makes <laughs> caps or skull caps because we're talking about basically a skull cap that you wear inside a baseball hat. Yeah, and they can't cost that much. I mean, there's got to be a manufacturer in China that could crank out ten thousand of these skull caps easily. Yeah, in the form of a Faraday cage, like within a week. A Faraday cage or Faraday shield is an enclosure formed by conducting material or by a mesh of such material. Such an enclosure blocks out external static electrical fields. Faraday cages are named after physicist Michael Faraday, who built one in 1836. Coming from uh, Wikipedia. Yeah, I have actually a wallet, not to sound like I'm a complete nutcase, but I've written about this in PC Magazine. There's a guy uh, down in Southern California that makes these things. I'll... Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen them for your passport and for your wallet. Yeah, yeah, I got the uh, well. He's he makes wallets that have a Faraday cage built into them, right. and that's what I use for my wallet. Even though I really haven't got any RFID, but I just think it's interesting anyway. The funniest thing I, I I bought the um, 
before we went on vacation, I bought three or four books and uh, one of them was The Shock Doctrine. And I started it uh, at home when I was laying on the couch and so I, I opened, I crack it open, it's paperback, I crack it, crack it open and out falls an RFID uh, uh, chip, you know, one of those pieces <laughs> of paper so you don't steal the book. Yeah. That was pretty trippy. Yeah, I, what I like to do with those, but if you can find them, is I like to uh, like put, put the, the double-sided tape on them or something and slap people on the back so they're walking <laughs> around with them. It's also fun to stick them in somebody, the bottom of somebody's shoe. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. So as they walk out of the store, the thing goes off like a, you know, like they're stealing something. It's great. I, we, I've been looking for, I've been looking for um, an RFID reader. It, it's apparently, it, it's not all that easy to have one one uh, device that can read all different forms of RFID chips because it has to, you know, send out a signal, it has to then scan a whole bunch of different high frequencies to receive the relatively weak uh, signal. Because I'd love to know, you know, what stuff around me has RFID chips embedded in it. That's a great idea, but it's but it's yeah, hard. Well, actually, no what you want is here's here's another product. We're just productizing today, <laughs> <laughs> which is another Silicon Valley term I hate. It, it productizing comes before monetizing. Yeah, product. Yeah, you got to productize, then you monetize. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so so the idea is is to create a device that is similar to a Geiger counter. In so far as that it will spot our, it doesn't read the chips. It just has the induction output that will signal one of these chips to send back a, exactly. hello, I'm here. Right. And then so you'll know there's a chip there. You don't need to know what's on the chip. You just need to know the chip exists. Chip I there, mean, yep. That would be cheaper and it would solve the problem you're after, which is why, you know, what RFID is, what, what, am I surrounded by RFID chips? And if so, where are they? So, so check, did I tell you about the, uh, about the RFID? By the way, I'm, I'm writing a patent up on that, folks. Okay, so good. don't. Did I tell you about the RFID chip that was used during this uh, four-day uh, marathon walk in uh, in Holland? The one you no. ingest? Oh, this is great. You ingest, so you, you and then you crap it out? No, no, no. Yeah, well, yes. So or check does it, it stay out. in you forever? So first of all, the uh, no, it, you crap it out. the uh, The marathon walk happens once a year. It's called the four-day. And uh, and it, it was a health thing that that's how it started initially, and now lots of walking clubs. And it's basically you walk, uh, I don't know, the equivalent of a marathon, but you do it over four days. It's walking, it's not running, and it's just hundreds of thousands of people uh, walking these routes. It's pretty cool. Um, but uh, two year, uh, last year, it was so hot that a lot of people uh, became you know seriously ill, fainted. I think a couple of people actually died of heat exha exhaustion. And uh, so this year, under the auspices of, well, we want to create something that doesn't let that happen again. This company's developed a pill. You swallow the pill. It has RFID dust or, uh, you know, the equivalent of uh, very, very small RFID transmitters uh, in it. It stays in your body for approximately 24 hours. But check this. They, it transmits through Bluetooth to your cell phone your temperature. And if your temperature goes up, uh, to a certain degree, then you'll receive a text message that says, "Hey, you should drink something." And if it goes, yeah, God, if, you're kidding. Me. No, I'm not. This is absolutely true. And if it goes up to a dangerous level, you get a text message that says you have to stop. Now, I'm pretty sure that the RFID chip is not transmitting the Bluetooth. I think they have an, uh, a, a separate device that they give the walkers um, that receives the RFID signal, then converts that to uh, to Bluetooth. And then, uh, you know, that basically would, yeah, sends that would, you that a text be, message. I think that's how it works. But there's still got to be in this pill, besides the RFID uh, uh, circuit, there has to be obviously a mem or something that, that takes the temperature of the person internally. Uh, 
yeah, well, th- th- that's, uh, yeah. So there's a small thermometer yep. and an RFID, and the yep. RFID sends out a signal when it's when it's inducted, which is yep. the way it works, right? Yep. You send it. And then it, when it's, well, it's inducted, it's active, and it takes a look at the temperature gauge and then sends a message out what the temperature gauge told yep. it. And I think it also could do humidity wow. uh, or, you know, whatever. That's well, humidity. It can't do humidity because no. you're inside the... Inside. Uh, but it was something, no, it was temperature and... Because it's in a liquid, you know, yeah. so it's not going to work. You know, it's got to be just temperature. But it's true. And this company, uh, of course, one of their biggest clients is the government. <laughs> go, <laughs> go figure. Go figure. Hmm. Yeah. Well, this is all just to protect us more, Adam. Yes, of course. It's uh, so, we can, so we'll be terror-free. Terror so we have to, but we still haven't come up with the... Uh, with the, gotta, the, yeah. the fascist, fascist word. Yeah, oh. we need it. So anyway, I'm reading through the uh, messages on the various. Uh, I've, I've been blogging stuff about Obama on the uh, Dvorak.org slash blog site because oh, it gets all these people all worked up. Yeah, and uh, somebody mentioned <laughs> it brings in uh, audience is what you're saying. Yeah, it brings them in, and they usually debate each other and call me a jerk or something because I. It's all I, page views, John. It's all page views. Guy says, uh, in Europe, it's a foregone conclusion that Obama's going to win. They've already made this decision. All the Europeans just take it as a, as a given. Is this right? Or is yeah. this guy just full of crap? No, I would say that that's, what, that's the writing on the wall. You know, also, Obama, of course, is now doing his, uh, his big European tour. And he had scheduled himself in front of the, uh, in front of the gate in Berlin, where, of course, uh, famously John F. Kennedy said, Ich bin in Berliner, and um, Reagan he was, said... He was a donut, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, go ahead. And uh, uh, Reagan uh, said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. So what is Obama going to say? I think all the good lines have been taken. Well, the point <laughs> is, is that uh, um, Angela Merkel, the uh, the prime minister, said, uh, well, I don't think that's such a good idea. You know, I, d- I don't want you uh, doing any speeches in, uh, in that spot because you're not the president yet. Um but uh, because he's on this tour and you know this is his big push, you know, it's pretty obvious that uh, uh, that was well, he going to give the speech him. from there, or did Merkel talk no, him out of it? No, she, no, it's not happening there. It's talk. It's happening somewhere else. And she literally said because she didn't want to seem, uh, you know, because the he's not president yet. I right, and she would be. Yeah, words. I think she's right. I think Merkel's not a dummy. Nope. So uh, yeah, she probably is right. Well, of course, I'm sure you know. Somebody, somebody called her. Hey, you know, uh, hey, uh, hey, Angela, baby, this may not may, <laughs> might not be such a good idea. Let's think about this one. Yeah, who do you think? Yeah, that what if the been? other guy wins? Hello, you know, it's now Dick. You do? It's Dick. Ch- no, nah, it doesn't matter. Obama's from. He's he's reptilian, man. He's he's in the the same league as McCain. It's all from the same same stuff. Just look what he's doing. Oh, yeah, no, that's the what Ron Paul thing. In fact, this guy I was talking to yesterday said the same thing. Uh, you know, it's just what difference does it make? You're gonna like this. this there's this, neither one of them are gonna be yeah, calling he's, the shots. He's he's, uh, the, he's member of the Council of Foreign Relations. You know, everyone's related to that organization one way or the other. Um, you know, and uh, look, he's now he's he's backpedaling on uh, pulling out of Iraq. He's uh, he's uh, he voted for the the FISA bill. FISA that yeah. FISA thing makes no sense to me. I mean, why would he do that? I mean, that was the biggest. I think that was a blunder. <laughs> because he has to. Because he's it, it, you know. Look, I mean, that's it, what it looks like. It looks like it's what you know it somebody is. called him up and said, you know, we know you're running and everything. It's probably not going to look that good, but you have to vote for it. 
Well, here's okay. The, now, here's the sequence of events. Oh, I'm not going to take public money because instead of the $82 million I can get, um, I need about $500 million. Then he looks around and he's going, shit, where am I going to get $500 million from? Oh, I know. Uh, big companies like uh, AT&T. Yeah, well, this obviously, you know, although they'll, they'll bleed it into the system so you don't know it's necessarily from big companies. Anyway, so much for campaign finance. I, I always thought that was never good. The, the, the idea of reforming campaign finance was never going to fly in a million years. And my feeling was is because the newspapers would always be against it. And there would end up, you know, if it ever actually got to the point where it was more than just kind of idle chat, mm. they'd start finding ways that it wasn't going to work. I mean, because they get the money. Where's the money end <laughs> up going? It goes yeah, to the media. Yeah, it goes to a lot of local spots, radio and television, and lots of cable. You know, uh, national. Yeah, yeah right. it's, it's five hundred million. I'm sure uh, four hundred million is going to media. Absolutely. I, I don't. I don't know how they do that with newspapers. They actually advertise in newspapers. Yeah, there's advertising. It's not yeah. as much, but there's enough. And there's all the call out research, and uh, it's all you know. A lot of lot of uh, marketing money going into phone systems. Um, you because know, I of course I got on the Ron Paul list on my cell phone. Uh, I got entered into their system because there's no other reason for them for anyone to call me any telemarketer whatsoever because I you know I, I don't exist I'm a, it's like company phone um, <laughs> right so I, I I got on his list and uh, it's all automated you know calls you up and uh, t you know talks to you and tells you stuff that you should know and you can press one or just say yes I mean that's I'm sure that's not inexpensive to set that up no and, yeah that's expensive stuff. and AT and T does that kind of stuff yeah. <laughs> right. There you go. Back to AT&T. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, no, the whole thing's corrupt. But anyway, so this guy says, you know, that the Europeans have got, as far as they're concerned, it's already discounted, you know, that, that Obama's going to win. And uh, so everything's playing along those lines. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, convinced. I'm not buying it. No, I'm not convinced, and I'll tell you why. Because McCain is a late starter. He did the same thing in this main uh, uh, election run for the for the nomination. Uh, he, you know, was he's a laggard, and then he does all his work at the end where, when it counts. And we still don't know who Obama's going to pick for the vice president. He could botch that, you know, pick yeah. Jesse Jackson or the something person, for all we yeah. know. Yeah. He could screw that up, and then we don't know who McCain's going to pick for the vice president. And that I think a lot's going to hinge on that because people are more, you know, in the you know maybe in the fifties nobody cared who the vice president was, but nowadays they do. Yeah, especially with these guys who are both, you know, uh, you know, targets as nowadays. I mean, targets of terrorists. And in fact, there's some video game out that's creepy game trying to kill the president or something like that. It's what just game is that? horrible. I don't know. It was on the, it was, somebody was sending me a link on Twitter about it and I was looking at it. I go, God, was this guy nuts? <laughs> He's some, I'll, have to, I'll do some research and get it on the, uh, it's some terrorist game. But anyway, the point is, is that you, the vice president's more important than ever. And uh, so the, who these two guys pick are, is going to be a big deal. Yeah, well, Absolutely. And you, you hit the nail on the head. The vice president is more important than ever. Like, you know, the vice president we have now is running the show as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you, I'm sure Ron Paul agrees. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, man. You know, I, I figured this out, John. I know you totally agree. I know you have your tinfoil hat on as we speak with your Faraday cage wallet. But you just want to you want to have some kind of non kookiness so that you're taken seriously by people who read Market Watch or whatever. <laughs> 
But that's that's why you pull back, man. You, and then you call me I a kook, which back. is easy. I mean, you're a crackpot half the time. <laughs> I'm not a crackpot, man. I'm, a, I'm just an open free thinker. That's what they're called, free thinkers. I mean, we say, no, he's not a crackpot. He is the one who is going to be presenting Ron Paul at the big counter event where the world Are you saying Ron Paul's a crackpot? will be gathering. No, that's the core base, John. It's not crackpots. Stop now. Stop. So, uh, come on. I mean, how could I top that? Dude, Ron Paul's not a crackpot. Like you, you know that. You have, to, you have to admit it. He's not a crackpot. I like the guy. Yeah. Uh, no, he's like, he, you know, in fact, uh, he'd be a, probably a more interesting president than these other guys, except for the fact that he doesn't play ball. What do you mean by that? You know, he's not playing ball. I mean, these other guys are going to play ball with, you know, the economic hitmen types and all these other people that, you know, there's a system in place that, that has to be, you know, kept alive. Yeah. This trend toward us, you know, this one world government kind of thing. Uh, oh, new dude. E economic order, uh, the, the new world order. I, I, I spoke to I had an interview for my uh, Dutch show. I spoke with the uh, the, the state secretary um, for finance. Uh, finances because uh, there's a whole bunch of problems and he's actually he's a he's a guy that comes from the it world he was brought in about a year ago he's now he's the secretary of state for finance and his his number one goal is to fix all the computer systems which is interesting and this guy i saw him on a, a video giving a lecture and he's like yeah it's all messed up particularly the tax system you know we've got all these systems that don't talk to each other properly and it's just a mismanaged project is what he's saying which is really open and honest so i get i, I get to talk to this guy and uh, I said, now, let me ask you a question. So when the Netherlands gives um, like 200 million euros to Afghanistan, how does that work? And do you send a big check or do you just get on your uh, your bank account and you use your uh, your card and uh, you, you type in your pin code? Or And, you know, and obviously I'm baiting him, but man, he fell for it. And he's like, no, 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 we just put a computer entry. I said, oh, I said, like, there's no, like, actually, no real money. He says, no, no, we just put in a credit entry for Afghanistan. Oh, so that means that they have to pay it back. Yeah, with with interest. Yeah, mm-hmm. And he just kept going, you know. And then then he actually tried to say, well, you know, what Fort Knox they do move some gold around. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? And and it was so, it was like this guy is building the systems for the you know the that is exactly what Confessions of an Economic Hitman is all about. You know, okay, we'll we'll loan you money, but we're not actually giving you any money. We're just putting an entry into a into a database, which means you have to now start paying us interest. That would be real money, by the way. And then we transfer all this, uh, you know, all these bits and bytes to companies like Burger King and Pizza Hut to come in and and build stuff. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you know the problem that I have is these companies like Pizza Hut and Burger King and all and all the big box companies as they call them now. That's another term that's somehow big box. I yeah. guess will eventually get into uh, into uh, Merriam-Webster because they've added a whole bunch of new weird words. You yeah, know, I like saw that. Uh, yeah. Couple, I, just a couple I, of I, I heard you. I heard you talk about one that was really dumb. What was the one on? I heard it on uh, Tech Five. Tech Five. Yeah. I went through a list of them. There's a couple of really dumb ones. But anyway, so big box is like one of these terms that probably has to go in. And uh, so 
you know, we've got this deli up in Port Angeles, Washington, and so my w- wife is looking into locations for, mm-hmm. you know, f- future ones and things like that. And she stumbled onto the methodology for how, how you know, when you go to these new malls, these new, stri- these they're kind of mini malls, but they're not strip malls in the old sense, which in the old American sense of a strip mall, you used to have this, like, running bunch of weird little stores. And now you have these big kind of plaza stores, and there's always a Home Depot and a Staples, yeah, yeah. And, and it's always the same stores and there's and always and they're all big stores yeah and there's never any little guys in there rarely there is sometimes there might be a small taqueria if you're lucky but it's usually part of a chain or the guys are connected or whatever and it turns out that these places the way they operate to they they operate to keep small competitive stores out and they do that by requiring you pay one year's rent in advance really yeah, and there's some other schemes that they have that make it very difficult to get into those places because you essentially can't and, afford and, and it. And who is they? Is that the um, the, the, the developers? The, the developers, yeah. The developers want these, you know, they want these, uh, you know, these keystone, cornerstone uh, uh, anchor stores, I guess is what they're mostly called. And they want these big names and they don't want any small timers. And these big names don't want the small timers around either because they don't want, you know, the Home Depot doesn't want some guy selling something that competes with them in any way. And so they don't even want want a store within 10 miles of them. (laughs) And, you know, and so... uh, so they so these things are essentially set up. So when you go and you can go anywhere around the country, driving around, you go to and I always like to rent cars. I'm from California, so when I travel, I'm always I never stay in the hotel. I'm out. Yeah, driving around and you see and you say and you can go and you just go. This is exactly the same as every other city in the country when you run past these little segments of the town where you have these big box stores. Mm-hmm. And there's no variation. They're all cookie cutter. And they all have the same crappy stores. And it's, you know, they're, it's just horrible. I mean, there's no, nothing interesting. You wonder why these big guys are taking over everything. I mean, the little guys have nothing but trouble competing uh, unless they become big guys. I have to say, that know? was one of the nicest things about being in the south of France is going to an actual um, grocery store that had, oh my God, it had like fruit and vegetable that was not genetically modified. It actually looked like a tomato. It had some bumps on it, you know, and, and pears <clears throat> that weren't exactly pear-shaped. It was so nice just to be in, in, a, in a smaller, non-box-like environment uh, with, with real food, real stuff. I hate, yeah, to, say no, that, it. I hate to say it, but the French are onto something. Uh, the French have always been onto this, and the thing about you know you can go. I mean, generally speaking, finding a grocery store is pretty hard because they you know they almost encourage a tomato store next to a meat store yeah. next. You know, they have all these little operations that all you have to if you're going to go shopping, you generally have to go from place to place to place to place to place yeah. as opposed to one place that has everything. But when they do have a grocery store, it tends to be exactly like you say a fantastic variety of extremely high quality products that are all, you know, there's none of this, you know, garbage that we're sold. And you go to these places, you know, our place where you have the tomatoes that have been gassed. So they turn red, you know, there's a oxidate, I forgot, ethylene or some gas you hit the tomato with when it's, they pick them green. So they're never going to develop any flavor. And then you run them through a processing plant where they're gassed. Mm -hmm. And so then the gas turns the tomato this kind of weird pinkish red. The tomato is never going to taste like a tomato. It's just a joke. 
And well, they you know, sell you know, that you know, they, to the um, public. You know, the, uh, the, the food administration, whatever it is, whoever's in charge of food, they now have, uh, the, it's now in law, dude. This is part of the Codex Alimentarius. There's only four types of tomatoes. That'll be permissible now because of this whole tomato scare, right? The, remember which we talked turns about? out to be bogus, which makes me wonder. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this. It's bo- a setup, you know, this dude. Like, it's a setup. It, I mean, it sounds like a marketing ploy for this co- this alimentarian thing, which we obviously haven't gotten onto in this country yet. But if if that's the case, because the, the the number of of heirloom tomatoes is in the thousands, and the fact that they wouldn't want these to be grown as a opposed to these commercial crappy tomatoes that are crummy, uh, is ridiculous. But it could be all as part of a scam, this whole tomato scare, because it turns out that the tomatoes weren't the problem. And I'm reminded... Well, tell me no, about this. Like, Where, I, don't, I don't know about the tomatoes not being the problem. You mean this was the poop water story, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, it turns out that maybe it wasn't the tomatoes. So then they thought it might be the jalapeno peppers. And then they thought it might be the cilantro. Now they don't know what it is. I, I haven't heard it. I haven't read any of this. I didn't know that oh, was Oh, yeah. No, it backed happening. off from the tomatoes. The tomatoes You're weren't. kidding the, me. No, you missed like three stages of this crap. <sighs> you know, I mean, they've been, you know, changing the story on and off. Now they don't. Now they're baffled. Hmm. Okay. So meanwhile, I should look this up. I'll find this. There was a, it was like a, like a official release, like it was real news. Hold on. Uh, where should I look for it? Anyway, keep going. Well, anyway, so I'm reminded of when I was, I used to be a uh, columnist at the San Francisco Examiner. I used to write these op-eds. And there was this one thing that happened. This was in the mid-80s. And it always baffled me. And I wrote about it. And no, there was never got anybody paid any attention to any of the, of the, in fact, the whole idea. Out of the blue, and this, of course, is one of the reasons I like the confessions of an economic hitman, because this story kind of was reminiscent. Out of the blue, sometime in the mid-1980s, and people can maybe try to find this, they stopped shipments of grapes from Chile, froze them all, because they found two grapes that were injected with cyanide or strychnine or something, and they had pictures of the grapes with pinholes in them where the needle had gone in and poisoned the grapes, and they thought there was some sort of, because this was during that era where people were stealing Tylenol and then putting right, poison Tylenol right, right, back right. on. And so they had to, re, you know, all of a sudden Tylenol was all recalled, and, you know, it was a big scandal, and people were, you know, blackmailers supposedly were behind all this. Mm. I think there was more to it than that. But this thing with the grapes was ridiculous because grapes come in by the truckloads, hundreds of, you know, millions of individual grapes piling in from Chile. How do they find these two grapes with the hole in them that they could actually show a picture of that were poisoned, you know, in some attempt to kill the American public? How did they, how is this even possible? Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. So, and yeah. so they they stopped the grape shipments, and then there was a bunch of negotiations and blah blah blah. And I I figure they're just gouging somebody over this. And then the next thing you know, the grapes are back coming in, and that was the end of it. And the story just died, and nobody ever asked the question except me as to what bullshit is this? Because there's no way that you know the what the, the, I know what inspectors do for a living. They're not looking at in, <laughs> this is yeah. just Here it ridiculous. Is. Here it is. Uh, Geneva, an international standard for tomatoes has been adopted, ending about seven years of intense debates between countries on what qualifies as a proper tomato. According to the new standard, tomatoes may come in one of four varieties, round, ribbed, oblong, or elongated, or cherry tomatoes and cocktail tomatoes. They must be whole, clean, free from foreign smell, free of pests, and fresh in appearance. 
In the case of trusses of tomatoes, the stalks must be fresh, healthy, clean, and free of all leaves and other visible foreign matter, according to the so-called Codex Standard. A commission called Codex Alimentarius was created in 1963 by the Food and Agricultural Organization and the World Health Organization. That's not true. It was the World Trade Organization. To come up with food standards with guidelines on food products. Um, here we go. Tom Hyland, who was a senior food standard advisor, explained that one such international standard was needed for tomatoes in order to protect importing countries. Quote, many developing countries in particular said that they need this standard so they ensure that they would get the right quality of products that they ordered. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, I like the way they twist it. Yeah. I'm telling you. So that's very interesting that, that the, and this was July 4th. Yeah. There's always a gag in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like we always had, you know, my wife and I, um, Years and years ago, there was a, and this will be our, it's probably our last story. I think we're running out of time, but years and years ago, there used to be this operation, uh, just pre Costco era. Uh, there used to be a couple of, of big box stores. One was called Gemco, mm-hmm. and the, which was, which required a, uh, a you had to get a, a kind of a, not a license, but it was like a, a membership, which was not that easy. You had to be a government employee, supposedly. I think it was Gum, Gum, Gemco, GE, government employee membership company, something like that. But the other one that was that was uh, hugely successful was a company called White Front. And over the years, it turned out that White Front was run by a mobster on witness protection. Okay. And... and and we started noticing there's always a trend between mobsters, especially the guys on witness protection, and the naming of their operations. White front, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, white front, yeah, now right. I get it. Yeah. Uh, and there was a trucking company recently that got busted because they were run by another mobster. And it was it had the word con as in convict, <laughs> yeah. in the name. And so every time we see like anything that's got consolidated or right, I think it was Conway like Trucking, yeah. as a matter of fact, something like that. And, you know, it's always assumed, we always think, is, that, is this another gag? Because these guys seem to have a, a humor. You know, they think it's funny, I think, <laughs> to come up with these names that indicate what, you know, they're crooks. What, what, they're, what they're really about, yeah. Or not necessarily crooks, but at least they're at gangster or they're on witness protection or who knows what. I'm always waiting for the witness protection, you know, produce company to come out, you know. But, <laughs> but anyway, keep an eye out for that kind of thing. Gags. Interesting. All right. Let me see. What do we do on time? Hey, this is good. Not even an hour and a half. Right. It's just under. Well, actually, the call duration is 131 since you were having so much trouble getting this thing started. Okay. Hold on. Let me uh, do my thing here. Oh, why is it not working? Oh shit! Of course, I was going to be really slick there and get the music going, but of course I uh, neglected to uh, uh, turn on my new device. Up. Yeah, something the equivalent of queuing it up. Yeah, there you go. Wow! Now we got to come up with a name for the show. Well, let's see. We talked about. Uh, I think that you know the, the fascism. Oh yeah, angle. fascism. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, how about uh, modern fasc- fascism today? That'd be good. <laughs> sounds like the name of a new show we got to put together. Yeah, it sounds like the name of a new show or a magazine. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Fascism Today. <laughs> It'd be a good name for a magazine in the 30s. Yeah. <laughs> These days, not so good. No. 
All right. Uh, you, are you doing a twit this weekend? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm yeah. not sure. Probably. Did you do it last weekend? Because I, I haven't caught up yet. Yeah, I did. Was it a good show? It was okay. I mean, it was uh, it wasn't a long show. Uh, it was a pretty good show. I think it was. A, I think we got onto some topics because it wasn't a lot of people. One of the problems you have with that show is that we, you know, you have a lot when you have too many guests. Mm. Uh, it's it becomes uh, burdensome. Leo spends a lot of time. Uh, too much time working, trying, you know, keeping the balls in the air because yeah. uh, he's, he's always working the guests. Guess, so yeah. probably four max total is probably the best. I think we only had three. Okay. Fascism today. Fascism. 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 There you go. Fascism, fascism today. Yes. Today. Okay. Coming to you from uh, the Curry Manor in the United Kingdom, where climate change has not yet set in. It's crappy weather. I'm Adam Curry. And we're here with our regular foggy summer in Northern California. I'm John C. Dvorak. We'll talk to you again next week right here on No Agenda.